Cold Stove Podcast, coming to you live from the Lodge in Austin, Texas, presented by Washed Media. A couple days before Christmas here, NRD, what are you asking for from Santa Claus? It's a good question. A couple more scoops to come my way. I know we're in a trade freeze right now, Brett, but uh, I know what the people out there are asking for. From what I've heard, boots on the ground, shouts to Petrov McGuire. I think people out there are asking for two episodes a week wow. after the Christmas, after the New Year. So I'll tell you what, it's going to happen at some point. I mean, it, it, it could happen clause. now. It'll just, can... It would just be a lot of the same shit. And I don't think, I think people come to us for the Jews. Don't, we don't need to talk about COVID four hours a day, twice a week. Like people come to us for the stuff that they say, okay, I'm tired of hearing about the normal shit. What do we, what do we got, you know, kind of in the, uh, in the shadows? Well, I think the good news is, you know, with the news that came out yesterday, as, you know, recording this on Wednesday, I, or this morning, I should say, the, the announcement came out. I think we don't have to talk about COVID much longer. I think that's past us. So, yeah, lighter skies ahead. I mean, it's it's devastating what, is, what has happened with the Olympics and, what you know, freezing the schedule. And now we're going to start back up on the 26th. So why don't we, you know, let's just jump right into that. Um, because news obviously broke that the players will not be attending the Olympics, will not be playing until the 26th of December. If Grant, not, you know, huge knock on wood there. And COVID's kind of running through the league. So let's get that out of the way. NRD, are you surprised your initial gut reaction and where do we go from here? I'm not surprised. Anybody that's listened has known that I've been the, the negative Nancy, the pessimistic one to your, to your Mr. Positivity yep. over there. with Mr. The Positivity just thrown in the gutter. Gone. Um, hate to say I was right again, but you know, um, yeah, no, I'm not surprised. It's the right move. Obviously, damaging to the schedule is when all these games were shut down and the NHL decided to, you know, extend the Christmas break up until December 22nd. That's when the material change clause was invoked by Gary Bettman in the NHL. The players had a chance to support the motion to opt out of the Olympics, and they did. Because either way, this wasn't happening, but Gary Bettman in good faith allowed the players to come out with a joint statement alongside the league and the players did it's the right move it's sad it sucks because there's a couple of guys i'm namely Sidney crosby steven stamkos who may have this may have been their last shot at getting another gold medal on the biggest stage i really do hope that the nhl considers a world cup of hockey within the next year or so that can get these players against each other i forgot who i read the tweet from uh right before we were prepping for the show but i saw a tweet that was like on board with the world cup Let's cut out the gimmicky crap. No team North America, no team Europe. Let's run the Olympics how it would have been ran, but, you know, with an NHL slash NHLPA produced World Cup of Hockey, both in the States and Canada, and I'm all for that. I think that uh, I think it's a shame. We miss out as the fans and the watchers of the games, but, you know, if it, if it helps the NHL get back on track and utilize some of those days in February, then I think it's the lesser of two evils. Yeah, and you know... I, I was listening to our last episode, you know, doing some some self-scouting, they call it. And I think the points we were making about COVID were all all well and good. But I was I was kind of under the impression that it was more the, you know, the virus sort of impacting the and the quarantine. I think what really happened is if if everything else stayed the same and even the quarantine was in place, it would have been up to the players, which would have meant they're going. What happened was, and the reason they it is totally scrapped, is the material change to the schedule, right? Like, correct. If it if it had stopped at eight postponed games, not a single person tested positive, but there was still the 
quarantine, there was still, you know, the risk over there. It would have still happened. And now it's a, it's a scheduling issue. And that's a bummer. But that's something that I wanted to clear up and clarify that I didn't think we were going to get to this point schedule-wise. So now I agree that it's the right idea. It is the right right idea. You know, it it is the right idea. It's the right call. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm a little worse than you in the self-scouting department. But now that you mentioned it, and I, I play it back in my mind as I react live to this, I think that the reason why we were a little hesitant on calling it done for the Olympics is because of that, what you just said. We were looking in the wrong direction. We were talking about the virus and, you know, the health concerns there, but it never really was a concern to a lot of these players. Uh, they would have went anyway. I know that, you know, Stamkos said it was a shame. He probably would have went. And mm-hmm. McDavid was the only... McDavid was probably the big... I mean, there were vocal guys that were against going to the Olympics, namely Robin Leonard and whatnot. Sure. I would say McDavid was probably the biggest name that showed any hesitancy based on just the, the protocols that were in place, um, saying that, it was, you know, it was something that needed to be looked into. It concerned him. But most players were gung-ho about about going, and it really sucks. But I think that now that you mentioned it, it makes sense that that's why we really didn't have a direct answer for you in the past couple of weeks because we were looking in the wrong direction. I think all of us, not just myself, many around the league were concerned with the protocols in place. Um, but it was the schedule at the end of the, you know, at the, end of the day that, that fucked things up for, for the Olympics. Yeah, totally. Um, on your point about a World Cup or World Cup equivalent, I think it's it's a huge no-brainer. I did mention that on last week's episode that it's, it doesn't feel that hard to do, especially if you're limiting the number of teams to to countries that can put something like that together. You know, call it the United States, Canada, Sweden, Finland, Russia, and the Czechs. And then maybe you throw if you want eight to make it a really clean, you know, bracket or whatever, you throw together a Best of the rest, which is Germany, Denmark, Norway, and one more, well, you know, one more team. If you want to, if you do want to do that young gun team, just to fill it out to eight, fine or whatever you, whatever you yeah, may. I'm not do. even opposed. I'm not even opposed to Germany getting team. Most no, cider on dude, the uh, most cider on the blue line. Most cider, Leon Dreisaitl, uh, uh Dominic Cahoon. They, Germany would have a line or two that could they could play. I mean, no doubt. Germany would kick some ass. Germany, and then maybe you have like the rest of the world, and it's President's Cup kind of thing. But uh, yeah. my question for you would be, when when would you have that tournament? Ideally, not not practically, but ideally for you. And for and me. how would how would you ensure that it's not an all star game and guys are like ripping around out there? I bake it into the schedule as like an Olympic break would be. I take, I have a runway on this. If I was stepping into the role of Gary Bettman, if I crawled out from underneath his desk where I'm currently located, I would schedule it probably in the Olympic break time of what would have been a 2024 Olympics. So February of 2024, we know that the NHLers want to go to the Olympics in Italy in 2026. I would bake it into 2024. I would Cut three weeks, two weeks out of his NHL schedule in that February, that run, that uh, that time. I'd host it in a myriad of different NHL arenas, both in the United States and Canada, just because the NHL can probably best, they're probably best equipped stateside and Canadian side to, mm-hmm. you know, offer any sort of infrastructure or what they need. I mean, I'm not opposed to going international well, with the, it, but it just makes it'd be one thing if if sense. the guys weren't already there, you know, like the, the yeah, guys it's just are easier because yeah. it's in the middle of the season. Uh, but I'd have it, I. 
basically plan this like the Olympics of hockey. It'd be the World Cup of hockey, but I'd treat this like an Olympic break a couple years down the line from now in the middle of the season where there is a time now where rosters get chosen over the course of the NHL season. There is a week-long camp, and then you go right into the to the schedule for, for this World Cup of hockey. I'd give it enough lead time to get it right and to give some of these players, because you would think that, I mean, it's we're about to hit 2022. You'd think that Ovechkin and Crosby and Stamkos, those guys will still probably be playing in another couple of years, you'd hope. Mm-hmm. So it's enough time for them to still have their moment in the sunlight to compete on the world stage again, but also to get some of those younger guys in the mix. You never know if uh, a couple of these young prospects we have coming up, like Shane Wright or uh, or Bedard in, in Canada, or Berard um, in Canada, is uh, going to crack like the Olympic team because now he's in the NHL two years from now. Uh, like there is, uh, I think it's a good point it's a good tentpole time frame to schedule it in 2024, right before the 2026 Olympics. And then maybe, you never know, to the NHL, if something ever comes up again where the NHL decides to not go to Italy in 2026, they could say we had this fantastic tournament in 2024 that we had so much lead time in preparation. And uh, maybe we'll just keep doing more of these like we did in the 90s. Yeah, I think kind of every two years is a is a good tentpole tournament type of, uh, type of game. And you know what? Like... I think of Olympic soccer or, or, or World Cup soccer, right? The World Cup is the biggest event on the planet, and it's UEFA. The World Cup or soccer in the Olympics is, I mean, it's, it's stunted because you can only go up to, I think it's 23, and you're allowed to have like three guys Younger older than, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting way of they, they do it. But the biggest thing about the World Cup is, is money. And so if you bake in, sponsorship and you bake in a, a major network and you bait like if you turn this tournament into a cash cow for everybody involved and 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 you turn it into prize money for everybody involved you'll get Sidney Crosby going 100%. You'll get Connor McDavid going 100% because these guys, you know, they're professional hockey players but they're fourth out of four when it comes to salaries. So they'll go yeah. play if there's five million bucks on the line for each guy, and that that's that's all you need, it's like golf. It's the best guys. The, the best guys would pit, they'd quit the PGA Tour tomorrow if you offer them forty million dollars to go play in in Dubai. Like people are literally trying to do as we speak. It's just it's, it's follow the money on this. So it's the right way to do it. No, yeah. it is exactly the right way to do it. And it's I was you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to bring up the soccer model, right? Nobody gives a shit about the Olympic soccer tournament. They care about the World Cup. And I understand that soccer is considered, or football, is considered the world's game, right? It's not as big as hockey on the world stage. But at the same time, it had to have started somewhere. And the NHL and the IIHF, if they want to bring them in as partners on this, can really carve out a tournament. I say get forget the world championships, you know, let's keep the world juniors because that's that's its own thing. Sure. Forget the men's world championships. Let's let's bake the world cup. Let's start the world cup hockey. Let's look at the FIFA model. Let's cut out the corruption that FIFA's had over the past couple of years. Yeah. And we'll build the world cup of hockey. Forget the world men's championships. This will be our main tournament. And every two years, we'll, we'll cycle a little bit around the globe, wherever the hockey hotspots are. Sure, play it in Moscow. Play it wherever. Play it in Latvia. Play. I don't. Doesn't matter to me. But this will be the premier tournament for international play. And then. The Olympics kind of becomes an afterthought because, like sure. you said, the NHL really doesn't get a big cut of that. So if the NHL and the IHF could bring in sponsorship money and keep this in-house, then I think it's better for all parties. It's better for the general managers. It's better for the owners. 
it's better for the teams, it's better for the league, and it's better for the NHLPA. Yeah, and if and if the owners bitch about the guys going to Sweden and then coming back and being sluggish because they're on on Sweden time, you know, if it's say it's hosted in Stockholm, then if you want to keep it in the states where the primary leagues are, and you just split gate revenue with all the federations, boom, done. Yeah. Like, okay, guess what? It, it, no matter if it's in Sweden, Russia, Finland, uh, or or Boston, everybody gets a cut of the gate revenue. Every every federation gets the same thing. So. Do it that way. Um, but I like the idea of February. So when I initially thought of this question, I was like, ooh, maybe like a September or last week of September, early October, like preseason and ramp the guys up. But then it almost feels anticlimactic heading into to the season. People would get hurt and people would bitch about that. So now, I mean, people, they would still bitch if people got hurt. But you can't do it in the middle of July. You can't do it in July. Guys don't want to do yeah. it. And I don't, I mean, maybe if you had the cash to do it, but like that's their, that's their two months of vacation a year. Guys want to take that off, get their bodies right because the Stanley cup is still what matters. Um, well, that's why, that's why in my mind I had this, like, let's just treat it like the Olympics, yeah. right? Like the NHLPA was already okay with leaving in February to go to, to mm-hmm. go to China for the Olympics in a non COVID world. So let's just do the world cup in the middle of the season. Like, like it's an Olympics. Exactly. Exactly. Every two years. Or every four, I guess, and you, and you do the Olympics in the off years. So it's like two, 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 two. As long as you have a major world tournament every two years and in the middle of February, I think that's a no-brainer. For the NHL, the IIHF, for USA Hockey, for everybody involved to get psyched about going to a bar to watch you know, the Canadian national team or the American national team. And you know what I do too is you build the women's tournament at the same time and you bill it and you, you do the same exact thing congruent with like, you know, like it's all one thing. So I want to be able to watch the, the women's hockey team at four o'clock play the Finns and then the men's teams on in prime time at eight versus Canada. And it's all part of the world cup of hockey or, or you, you want to do the revenue differently. You do the women's game in the off, like the off, off year, you know? So it's, yeah. Men's World Cup, Women's World Cup, Olympics, something. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here, but the the women's game would be equally as beneficial, I think, to everybody involved in, as as the men's game. Sponsorship, that's money, it, uh, TV time, TV revenue. It's all the, all the all works in RD. That's how it's worked out for FIFA. I mean, yeah. the Women's World Cup is as popular now in TV. I know ESPN put in a monster bid for the Women's World Cup sure. rights over the past couple of years, so it's as popular as the Men's World Cup in soccer. Mm-hmm. Get rid of the Women's World Championships as well. Bake that right into the World Cup of Hockey, like you said. That's how you grow the game on an international stage. And when the NHL owners know that they're getting a cut as opposed to the Olympics, I think that they'd be a lot more amicable to to running a World Cup of Hockey every two years in the middle of the season mm-hmm. when they know that there's some green coming there. Yeah, build it with the NHL owners in mind. like Because you have to. In order to get everybody to buy in, and I don't think that'll be a problem. You know, it will because people want bigger cuts and this and that, and like, well, my guys, so I get a big. Just make it happen. Best on best hockey needs to exist, and it needs to exist immediately, in my opinion, because it's just, I don't know, it's just the the sport gets its greatest moments from the best teams playing, whether that's the Stanley Cup. Whether that's the miracle on ice, it's like the best guys playing the best guys create the most eyeballs and the most memorable moments. And right now we're just operating at half that. We get the standard. And unfortunately, up. and to your point about it, because I know people are going to jump on you for saying the miracle on ice moment because they were amateurs. 
But unfortunately, the yeah, way but, that sport has evolved over the years, the best on best are in the National Hockey League now. Mm-hmm. Back then, you had some great amateur players in the way that the college hockey system fed into the NHL in the 1980s. You had guys like Kenny Morrow and Neil Broughton playing in the Olympics. Nowadays, you just don't have that. So yeah. it is... And that's not a slight to anybody that's going to embark on this trip to Beijing in a couple of months. It's just that that's the way the hockey world works now. So we need that best-on-best competition because I get the amateurism aspect of it. And I know a lot of old heads will say that that has to remain true. But at the same time, don't act like when you watch Olympic hockey in February, you're going to enjoy the product as much as you would have enjoyed it with Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby on the same line for Team Canada. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know what? It's the perfect time to do it, too, because Super Bowl's over. NBA is not kicking into, like, it's it's getting close to playoff time, but it's not high gear yet in terms of mm-hmm. playoff races. Same thing with hockey. MLB spring training is just starting. It's like a very solid time on the sports calendar where there's not a ton going on. Correct. So, to me, it's a no-brainer. Absolute no-brainer. Let's table that discussion for a second and go back to the Olympics period. NRD, what is what happens now for Team Canada, Team USA? Where do they go? Because I would assume they're still sending somebody, right? Who is yeah, going? they're still sending teams. It appears that it's going to be a conglomerate of, of AHL slash KHL you know, expats from, from the NHL over the years slash couple of guys like, you know, that come to mind like a Bobby Ryan or whatnot that are home that have been playing mm-hmm. in the NHL over the past couple of years that just haven't, you know, had an opportunity to sign with an NHL club this year. Devin Dubnik comes to mind who, who will be in the net for Team Canada most likely. Guys like that um, will be most likely at this tournament. Maybe you get a guy like an Owen Power or a, or, or a Matty Veneers who wants to just go and play on that world stage for, for their country's delegations fresh off the world juniors. It, it's possible. I, I think you could see one of those guys being susceptible to go, especially because, you know, I, I get chasing an NCAA championship, and I know you're a big college hockey guy, Brett, but at the same time, to have a chance to compete for a gold medal does a lot more for your resume, in my opinion, than, than an NCAA championship. So you might see some of those top young talent go straight from the world juniors right to, right to the um, Olympics. But I know behind the bench for Team USA, one thing that we mentioned on last week's podcast and starting to leak out now is David Quinn. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that last week. David Quinn appears to be the guy behind the bench for Team USA. John Van Beesbrook will be taking over as general manager. And then for Canada, we are not sure um, who will be in charge. The belief is it that it's Claude Julien behind the bench and Shane Doan as general manager for, for, T, for Team Canada at this point. So there are some executives in place, not NHL-linked executives, but... You know, the talent is still there. You still have some big names involved, Whether even though they're not on the ice playing. Um, it still will be exciting. That's what I, I don't want to discredit the Olympic tournament that's about to happen now at the NHLers. I still think it's very exciting. And I think it should put more of the emphasis on the women's game, which women are sending their top their top players, and that is always an exciting tournament. And I suggest that you don't tune, tune out because the NHLers aren't there. Watch the women's tournament. I know it, everybody makes the joke that it's USA and Canada every year, but you know what? Some talented hockey going on between those two teams. Yeah, and every four years I watch every second of it because they're good. They're awesome. And it's good hockey. It's really good hockey. So interesting to see what the rosters turn out to be and who will be on each each team. It's kind of funny. I'm like the Brian Giantas of the world. I don't think he's going this year. But like guys like that who are just a a year or two removed 
have the American hockey in their blood, Canadian hockey in their blood, and want to go. And we'll see what happens. I'm sure, you know, like, I'll still watch. I'm going to be disappointed, but I'll still watch. And maybe Ovechkin goes over under a, uh, a pseudonym and is just like, oh, yeah, my Alexei Ovechkinsky. And he uh, he plays for the Russian Federation. Who knows? But you uh, know what? This is this is the fre- uh, breath of fresh air that Team China needs to make a run. Hey, you never know. Now, Team China has all the all the tools. Do you see what they did with uh, Kunlun Red Star in the KHL? They basically just kicked off any non-Chinese player off the team. They just released them from their contracts. Really? Oh, and they yeah. just had all Chinese players signed because they just wanted to f- finalize their. They're basically using the, their KHL team as the the Olympic tryout pool. So they just basically anybody who wasn't, you know, doesn't have Chinese citizenship or is able to play for team China was given their release papers. It's, it's, Hey, you know what? If you're, if you're not doing stuff like that, you're not trying good for them. Good for them. China's in it to win it. You know what I'm trying to do this weekend? NRD along with Christmas is win along with Christmas is win a boatload of money on draft Kings hockey fans. Draft Kings sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NHL. And they have a no-brainer offer that'll make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. The NHL got rid of ties in 2005, if you remember NRD, so you know someone is going to light the lamp. If the sportsbook is not yet available in your state. No worries, because everybody can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. How are your lineups looking, NRD, in Daily Fantasy? I've been struggling. You know why? Because I always try to think that I'm smarter yeah. than what the, what, what the salary cap is giving me uh, mm-hmm. on DraftKings. So, like, when McDavid's going up against Seattle, I just won't put him in the lineup because I'll be like, you know what? He's too expensive. Let me try to get some budget beasts in there. I need to just start going with the off the top of the head. Like Nick David's a good player. Yeah, like, shouldn't shouldn't not be in my draft game. If lineup. if it makes sense, you might as well go for it. It's like keep it simple, stupid, right? The kiss method is what you exactly. need more of when you're playing DraftKings, and they're giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Here's what you do: NRD, download the DraftKings sportsbook app now and use promo code Washed. That's W A S H E D. Throw down $1 on any NHL game, starting the 26th when they come back, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code WASHED this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook. For details, if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. NRD, you mentioned David Quinn will be behind the bench for the United States. You know who will not be behind the bench for the Winnipeg Jets moving forward is Paul Maurice. Has stepped down down as the coach of the Winnipeg Jets as of last week. Uh, Your thoughts there on an, an emotional and surprising situation. I mean, who's surprised, Brett? Not me. Not, I know you're not, not surprised you either. The two of us aren't surprised. And really, if anybody knows how to read tea leaves anymore, none of my followers are surprised as well. And this is not to take away from Paul Maurice's moment in the sun and his ride off into the sunset, but my favorite thing on uh, uh, in that 
eventful morning when Paul Maurice, the, the official reg, resignation announcement came out, was every all these insiders shocked. Just couldn't believe it. And I was like, you know, I wasn't shocked. I know you weren't shocked, Brett. Yeah, that's I kind of threw good, you uh... under the bus. I tweeted out the uh, screenshot of the text I sent you. You did. I said, listen, if you're mad at anybody, be mad at Brett because Brett knew. An old Brett school, and I were the only two that knew. You know what's funny, though, is by the time you had texted me that, I had fallen asleep. So technically, I did not know. I knew no, that something was up. I didn't know until the next morning when I woke up and saw your text, and then the news broke almost simultaneously. So that was a good old, good old-fashioned NRD bomb for the for the boys, huh? It was a big NRD bomb. It was uh, it was calculated. I don't know if anybody caught wind of this, but I, I had happened to know because I, I spoke to a highly respected source out in Winnipeg the, the night prior when I was told that it was basically DEFCON level five information that Paul Maurice would be resigning the next morning, and you know. To protect everybody involved, I decided to just tweet out what I did about change, you know, being imminent in Winnipeg. And then I sent out a tweet, maybe 30 seconds before the announcement came out, that said, if we even make it to next Tuesday, we'll discuss this on the pod. Yeah. That tweet was calculated. That tweet was coming on purposefully 30 uh, seconds see. before the announcement came out because I knew it was coming out. Uh, nonetheless, Paul Maurice is not there in Winnipeg anymore. He was not fired. We talked about this early on in the Cold Stove Pod uh, archives in the episodes about how Paul Maurice wouldn't be fired this season. And he wasn't, he, he stepped down under his own, uh, under his own power. And I think that's due in part to Paul Maurice, just gaining so much respect in the Winnipeg organization and the locker room over the past couple of years. And that's the one thing that I took away when I was, you know, after I had the, the information confirmed, and then I reached out to some people I knew in Winnipeg, the one, the one word that came back was respect on Paul Maurice. And that this move, while, while probably the right move for the organization, also didn't come without people being, you know, ups, upset for him stepping down. He, he gained a lot of respect both in the locker room and in the community over the past couple of seasons. Unfortunately, he just wasn't the guy. And he said this in his, you know, to paraphrase him a little bit in, in his press conference, he wasn't the guy that could get them to the promised land. And sometimes, you know, that's what happens. And it, it takes a real man and a great leader to understand that and know that and to say, listen, I'm not the guy. I have a lot of respect for, you know, Kevin Sheveldayoff in the front office and the ownership and that um, I would like to do the best I can for these guys in the locker room by getting out of the way and, you know, starting your search earlier to get the guy in there that can bring him to, to the promised land. Yeah, just an all-time display. I tweeted this out in, in humility, in honesty, in knowing what the team needs and not being selfish enough to keep sitting there, you know, and... and giving it an effort that you know is not resonating and just an all-time all-time display of uh, hey this is on this is on me it's not on the guys they need a new voice 9 years and they they need something different and he, he mentioned like they are a good team yeah. and he also mentioned he's like I am a good coach Team makeups change, and the message can you can only deliver the same message for so long before it gets stale. And he mentioned the the diminishing returns, right? You can yell and scream and bitch and moan at these guys, but each time you do, or each time you like pull that lever in the locker room, the return on you know investment it resonates will, less and less. Yeah, it, resonates it resonates less and less, less every and less. time. So he just he knew. He just knew, and now he gets to go up and fish and hunt and do whatever Paul Maurice wants to do for a while. And if he wants to come back, he's only like 54. 
if he gets that, if he gets that, yeah, if he gets that juice, if he wants one, he will. Yeah, I would. You know what? And if he doesn't want to coach, I'd put him in my front office immediately. He'd be a great president of hockey ops if he doesn't want the pressure of being a GM. You know, he can kind of be the Jim Rutherford figurehead that you uh, so despise, NRD. And that's well, don't (laughs) even get me started there because we're gonna have another rant Ah. about New Jersey in a little bit where uh, I have to go in on their ownership and front office structure, but. No, Paul Maurice, and the, the thing that everybody wanted to know was whether this was, you know, one of those underneath-the-table deals, like, hey, we'll let you step down with grace because we're going to fire you. It really wasn't. I, I talked to numerous people, and if I could stress this enough, not that I have to prove myself to anybody, but you knew I knew well before anybody else what was going down. So I spoke to some pretty high-level sources in the Winnipeg organization, and it was very clear that this was not a, you know, agreement, a whispered agreement, an under-the-table agreement to get Paul Maurice out before they fired him. This was genuinely Paul Maurice saying, I, I, this team, this organization deserves a new voice. Maybe not better, because that's that's the thing that Paul Maurice handled so well in his press conference and what you mentioned. He knows he's a good coach. He really is a great coach. So the, I don't know if they deserve better. They just deserve different, a, a fresh take on what the Winnipeg Jets could be. And, you know, kudos to him. I do think he will be back in the National Hockey League sooner than later. I think he just needed a break. covid and coaching under these protocols, especially in Canada. Don't forget, it's a lot tougher mm-hmm. there than it's been in the States at times. And, you know, that's not to say that it's better or worse how a different country, I'm not even getting into that, but just it's different, the protocols there than it is in the States right now. So it, it definitely weighed on him. And, you know, he he's garnered enough respect and, and done enough in his National Hockey League coaching career to say that he doesn't need to hang on to this job for, for the wrong reasons. He has all the wherewithal to step by or step aside for now and come back when he feels that he is ready to provide a new voice to an organization. Hopefully the organization we're talking about soon, I think he'd be a great fit there. I just don't think it's happening anytime soon. Yeah. And in all the best to Paul Maurice, what a, a very distinguished career in Winnipeg, one of the teams that you can never count out, turn the culture around after coming in, you know, kind of uh, after being the thrashers for, for their thrashers time, just a, a good dude who I'm rooting for going forward. And uh, a guy that I would love to be my coach. I'll put it that way. I think that's that's as good of a compliment as you can give a guy. And the last note I'll give on Paul Maurice, and mm-hmm. more so a note going forward, is A, C, I told you I didn't leave Twitter. And, and B, uh, if you're not following the Cold Stove Pop, I don't know why you wouldn't be at this point because you know those scoops are coming. Get on the train while you can. NRD, you there mentioned you those New Jersey Devils. Um, I don't know if they're... Living up to the expectations or, or or not, they're certainly on paper better than they've shown. You suggest they need change at what level of the organization and how soon? I like Tom Fitzgerald. I really do. By the way, did you see that video the other night of Tom Fitzgerald watching his son Casey get into his first NHL scrap? No, I haven't seen that. Tom going nuts in the crowd, clapping it up and everything. Oh, that's that, awesome. was, that was awesome to see. And that's a big hockey family. I mean, you got the Hayes mm-hmm. and the Kachucks in that family as well with the Fitzgeralds. But I think Tom's Tom's a great general manager, and I, I think he's constructed this roster, uh, you know, not perfectly, but but he's infused the right amount of youth, and he's he's taken chances on guys like PK Subban, who you know has the talent, and it didn't pan out probably the way they hoped in New Jersey. But you have to have you have to have a guy with balls at the at the top to make those decisions and to say we're going to grab a guy like a PK. To, to join the to join the roster and Dougie Hamilton's a great example this past offseason to, to spend that money on a guy like Dougie who a lot of there were a lot of question marks on Dougie Hamilton's <clears throat> ability to play 
you know, a more of a number number one shutdown slash all-around defenseman role and not just on the power play and Rob Rendemore's system. And I think Dougie Hamilton's played pretty well in New Jersey. So Fitzgerald's good in my book. My concern is straight up with Lindy Ruff and the way the coaching staff operates in New Jersey. From the get-go, I didn't understand firing John Hines to... Well, no, I understood firing John Hines, but to name Alan Nazardine the the interim head coach from that uh, coaching regime and to keep him on on Lindy Ruff's staff is just bizarre to me. I I think the devil's lack of voice, lack of direction, and you're not going to get it from a guy like Lindy Ruff. I know... um, I'll break the fourth wall here for a second. I was talking to Andrew Peters uh, of After the Whistle podcast the other day, and we were discussing um, we were discussing Lindy Ruff because he's obviously had some experiences with Lindy Ruff in his time, and we're talking about how Lindy Ruff is a great coach when you have a team that's you know over the age of thirty, and you just say, "Listen, I'm going to draw up what I know from my hockey experiences, and this is how we're going to win games. We're going to grind them out." But when you're when you have players like a Nico Hishay or a Jack Hughes or a Esper Brat or you know. Couple of guys on that team that are Sharanovich, who was coming up through the pro, uh, coming up through the uh, prospect pipeline. When you have guys that are looking to find their identity in their young National Hockey League career, Lindy Ruff is not the guy you want to help them in their soul searching process to to find that identity. And I think that's the major struggle right now for the Devils is that Lindy Ruff is not he's not inept, right? Like he's not a bad coach. He's had a you know a portfolio of success behind the bench for a bunch of different teams in the league. But at the same time, none of those teams that he's really had success with have meshed with the profile of this Devils roster right now. And I think that that's what's rubbing me the wrong way in New Jersey is that they just need a different direction. And I actually like that you mentioned you let off this by saying that they needed, you know, we don't know if they're, you know, not living up to expectations because we knew that it was going to be a struggle to get New Jersey in the playoffs, right? It's a stacked metropolitan division. Um, You can argue that teams that were on the similar path as them, like the New York Rangers, might just have a little bit more talent and might be a little bit more ready. Um, Just with the additions with Sammy Blay, obviously who's out now, but Ryan Reeves, like the Rangers kind of built that roster to be ready to compete now. The Devils still were going through that youth infusion. But so I don't know if they're not at expectations. They're, They're definitely underperforming. And I think a large part of that is through coaching staff. Tom Fitzgerald had comments the other day about, you know, sticking by Lindy Ruff, but those comments are as good as nothing to me. Um, we know what Chuck Fletcher said about Elaine Vigneault, and then that happened like three days later. So mm-hmm. that's just lip service. Uh, but I do think change is needed in New Jersey ASAP, and I think it'll come. Like I, like I mentioned on last week's podcast, more so now of a rumor update, pause the rant for a minute. Uh, the expectation is that Lindy Ruff will not finish the season in New Jersey. Um, it's more of a matter of when than if. It's just about you know getting ducks in a row. It's not going to happen over Christmas break. They're not going to fire the guy Christmas morning. Yeah, no. And I, I, I think I agree with that. You're, we, we've talked about it, and I think everybody kind of realizes that Lindy Ruff is a guy that goes in to win and win Stanley Cups and not just win development points with guys like Nico, guys like Nate Bastion, guys like... There's a lot of good guys on that team. There's a lot of good veterans on that team now. They're getting close, but they need two or three years of a guy to get them in a spot where they're ready to hire the you know, the artillery, if you will. A guy like Lindley Ruff, a guy like Paul Julian, a guy like uh, Elaine Vigneault even. But we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. And I would expect them to be movers at the deadline, especially a P.K. Subban. Um, and maybe that coincides with, with change. But I think you're right on Tom Fitzgerald. I think he's a very solid GM, for lack of a better term. And I think ownership is not impatient there, but they are certainly 
demanding of their of, of who they hire. And I think I don't that, think they're I, I don't think they're not patient. I just think that you know ownership is also listen. It's no secret that you know Peter Laviolette was the pick of the New Jersey Devils before Lindy Ruff, mm-hmm. and unfortunately. Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment decided not to spend the money on Peter Laviolette. And that's what it came down to. Peter Laviolette was the handpicked choice to coach the Devils. And unfortunately, the demands were a little high, contractual, contractually speaking. And Laviolette goes to Washington. And, you know, the rest is history. As they say, Lindy Ruff is beyond the bench for the Devils. So I think that plays a role in this, too. I wouldn't say the situation's as bad as it was with Comcast and Philly going into Lane Vigneault firing with, with contracts and whatnot and paying coaches. To not work, but uh, it definitely is a is an afterthought. It's an afterthought, but it's also in the back of the minds of Tom Fitzgerald and some of the front office people. There, it's just you know we had our guy and Peter Laviolette, and unfortunately ownership didn't give us the sign off on it. So we want to make sure we're doing this the right way once we do fire Lindy Ruff, and we want to make sure we have the ability to get our guy when when we identify that next guy. Anybody else on the hot seat NRD? I don't have this in the rundown, but anybody that's like. Like has Rick Bonus sort of played himself off of that hot seat? Has is there is there any team like obviously Don Granado and Andre Tourigny aren't going anywhere this year? But is there any t- team you know that like is uh, is Dom Ducharme going to keep going here? What around the league do you have anything? And, and I'm springing this on you, but anything else that that kind of piques your interest? I mean, in terms of Dom Ducharme, because that's the name that you just mentioned. Uh, like. It was announced when Jeff Gordon took over the franchise in Montreal that he would be finishing out the season as the head yep. coach. But we know that's it's not lip service because it most likely will happen. I mean, Montreal's on a path to nowhere right now. He's not going to be the head coach of that team next year. So he's as good at, like, we could throw the X over his face right now, squid game mm-hmm. terms. And it like, wouldn't He's matter. out. Yeah, it just doesn't matter. I mean, he's kind of like a lame duck anyway in that sense. Bonus to me, Bonus, I think, has played himself out of the in-season firing hot seat. I don't know if Bonus is the guy next year in Dallas. And that's that's a little bit of what I've heard mixed with my opinion. I, yeah. I think that they need somebody fresh there, especially if they're going to look to retool. Because I don't know if you blow that organization up yet. I think there's still pieces in play. Man, they're getting old, though. They are they're getting, getting old, old. But I'm a big fan of Jason Robertson. And I'm a big fan of you know the defenseman high school. Arupe. I'm a big fan of Rupe Hintz. And there are guys there that... You can build around by retooling on the fly. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, so you have to be really cautious. I think Jim Nell is another good general manager, and I think he could have a chance at doing that. But at the same time, I think Bonus has played himself off, off of the in-season hot seat, but I don't I don't think, and that's, like I said, a combination with what I've heard and what I believe, I don't think Rick Bonus will be behind the bench next season. Yeah, and you know, I, I wonder if teams see... What a guy coming in like Bruce Boudreau and lighting it up, does that get anybody more impatient saying, well, if they can do it, so can I. And and we won't see anything happen over Christmas break. Like We won't see anything happen for probably a month at this point until we're getting into the thick of, okay, this team is really going south or this team is the St. Louis Blues of 2019. You know, we're just, we're just, we're at a point in the season where, okay, we're out of the gates Teams need to make changes, but they're not really sure because it's still they still might have some hope. So I think we're probably a month away from really knowing what is going on with this season. I think that's a really fair benchmark. And at the same time, too, COVID's looming, right? Like we we know the games are going to be rescheduled and we don't know what schedules are really going to look like coming out of the uh, out of the all-star break, even for that matter. Like I know one of the big 
you know, things that are being talked about is the fact that a lot of arenas are booked around the National Hockey League, and that is true. I mean, it's not just going to be able to have two weeks of games now that they can reschedule during that break. It's going to be a combination of rescheduling the games that were postponed slash moving up games from the regular from the original schedule that were to be played in March and April, playing them in February now because of arena availability, and then shifting those postponed games to the end of the year. So I think for a lot of teams, it's let's get healthy. Let's, let's get our full 23 back and ready to go. And let's assess how things go over the next couple of months before we make any drastic decisions. I think the coaches that have been fired so far, you know, Travis Green in Vancouver and, and Elaine Vigneault in Philly, those are those moves because they ha- it had to be done. I mean, clearly they were going down a wrong path. And I think that Paul Maurice aside, because we know he resigned and he didn't get fired, I think he would have been in that group of like a Rick bonus that maybe at the end of the season probably wouldn't, you know, maybe not on the bench mm-hmm. for next year. But he decided to step down. So other than that, the, the rest of, the rest of the names around the league, whether it's Bonus, Ducharme, um, you know, Andrew Brunette in, in Florida, what, what happens with his future behind the bench, like, I think those are decisions that just won't come in the regular season because a lot of teams don't know what they have and they, they want to see what the rest of their season looks like. They want to get everybody healthy. Um, there's still too much up in the air with COVID right now. And, and it's hard to it's really hard to evaluate an organization when you're missing some of your guys. It, it just because it, it's a cohesive unit, right? Like anybody that's played team sports understands that you have to have all your cylinders firing. All the gears got to connect and move as one cohesive oiled machine. And that's the only way you can really get a true sense of what what your organization is doing on the ice. You can't you can't evaluate it with 19 guys there and four AHLers in the lineup just because it throws off that chemistry. I think you're right, Mr. Barry Trotz. I think you are right. Um, I think that the one thing we will see if there's a change imminent across the league, it will be to the protocols. It will yeah. be more in line, especially with United States teams. That's the, the, the big problem with this is Canada. Nothing wrong with Canada. I get their approach, but the U.S. teams will, will say, why can't we be like the NFL? Why can't we be like the NBA and test symptomatic players only? And the reason is because it won't fly in Canada. But I think there will be a happy medium to that where maybe it's what we test like we do, but it's seven days versus 10 days, or it's six days versus 10 days, or five days, and then you can test out of it type of thing. That is where I would expect a change versus asymptomatic versus symptomatic. And I just want, I won't go long on this, but I just wanted to make a quick, you know, not retraction, but addendum to what I said on Twitter the other day. Steve Eiserman made a comment that, like, we have to stop testing asymptomatic players. And I tweeted out that he has a point. And I don't, I'm not ignorant to this whole COVID thing, but at the same time, he, I, and I just want to address this in a, on a further scale really quick. He really does have a point. If the NHL is concerned with stopping the spread of COVID, then the right thing to do is to test everybody and you have to test and trace. But if the NHL is concerned with finishing the season, playing games in a timely manner, he, Steve Eiserman has a point. You just have to stop testing the asymptomatic players. You have to treat it like a player shows up to the rink with flu-like symptoms and he's not in the lineup that night and he goes and gets tested and then you handle it from there. But if players are not reporting any symptoms and they feel great and they're not aware of any um, any contact tracing with any players that did or any people that did test positive, then you just have to let them go. And that's the only way that the NHL is going to be able to finish this on time. And I don't know what the correct answer is, but I just wanted to clear that up because I, I didn't mean to come across as ignorant um, in 140 or 280 characters that Twitter allows me to you know speak on. I just think that you know, if, if the NHL wants to go in that path and get this thing done on time, then Steve Eisman has a point. You just can't test everybody. Yeah, and maybe you do it. Yeah, I, I think a switch to, I'll, I'll call it smart testing. So maybe it's not, it's not asymptomatic 100%. It's not 
symptomatic 100%. I just want to get smarter where a team comes back from a road trip. Then maybe you can spot test everybody. Symptomatic, obviously. A team is going to Canada in three days and they have strict requirements. Then maybe you spot test everybody. Just, Just smart testing versus blanket everyday stuff. I think is is my kind of where I land on this stuff. No, I but, I think you're right. It's the tough part is is nobody's gonna act like yeah, like nobody has the answer. You know, yeah, like correct. one side's gonna say one thing, the other side's gonna say, listen, we got to test everybody, and they, it's truly a gray area because there's still a lot of stuff that we don't know. You know what? A bit of good news in this whole thing, just sort of bad news. Good news is that this variant Omicron is is ripping through populations. But it is shown to be less severe. And I, I'm comfortable in saying that now based on information that is out there. It used to be like, well, just like don't get ahead of yourself. If if South Africa and, and now the UK have anything to, to, to do, and they, they had this variant earlier, obviously, mm-hmm. it rips through, it spikes quickly, cases are already down in those two countries, and it's less severe as far as hospitalizations and deaths go. So Correct. a little bit of good news that... And you know what? If it and it keeps ripping through, knock on wood, we get through this thing quicker and can move on. I don't there think it will ever move on 100%, but it, we'll be able to get in a point where it's normal again. During yeah. the beginning of the season, basically. Yeah. That's what we exactly. had at the beginning of the year. Shall we whip around, NRD? Let's go. Jacob Chikrin is the one name that's been on the block more than the rest lately. Do you see anything happening with Chikrin sooner than later? I think Arizona blows this thing up sooner than later. That's just, you know, Phil Castle and Chitrin if they if they decide to move him. Um, one one thing about Chitrin is the New York Islanders have been one of those teams that, you know, in the social conversation have been discussed for Chitrin. I, I don't believe the reports out there that the New York Islanders checked into it this prior offseason because I really don't think that uh, Arizona was, was too bullish on doing it this prior offseason. I think now... Um, teams are looking in, and I'm sure the Islanders are one of those teams. Lou Lamorell is a smart guy. Um, it's funny I said that after last week, but, you know, he, listen, I, I said it plain and simple. I have a lot of respect for him. I'm sure he's placed phone calls, but I, I think that that reporter was maybe a little gun-jumping on that behalf of uh, Jacob Chikrin. But nonetheless, there he's a young, talented defenseman. He's wrapped up for the next couple of years. He's the guy that you want to add. He makes sense for a team like the New York Islanders. It makes sense for a team like the Montreal Canadiens who are looking for an answer on the blue line and they need a guy that's a little bit younger and maybe has term so they can kind of figure out their salary cap situation over the next couple of seasons. I like the fit there. Um, but Arizona is going to blow this thing up sooner than later. And I think they're going to have a ton of assets to dish out around the National Hockey League between Chickering, between Phil Kessel. Um, Louis Erickson's playing himself maybe into a rental role, <laughs> which is amazing. I mean, he's playing pretty well. Let's it. not joke about that. He's been fairly solid in that lineup. So, you know, you never know if they retain salary again on Louis Erickson. It becomes appealing to a team, especially with COVID, right? Because COVID's going to destroy depth over the course of the season. So names like that are actually going to have a little bit of more value than they should. It's because you want a guy that has experience in the lineup. But uh, Arizona's an interesting player. We know they're going to sell heavy. It's just a matter of, you know, when and where they send these guys to. Yeah, that's going to be a, a study. in when a team has 15 draft picks... How good can they be? How quickly? Because even if you have Shane Wright, does it matter for two years? And like, how you? It's it's one thing to do a rebuild. It's another thing to be caught so far deep in a hole that your your team 
the average age is 19 and a half and half of your guys are still playing in, in Regina. Like how, how explosive can you, you like, it's one thing to bomb a team. It's another thing to nuke a team. So that you're just, your entire team is draft picks. So I don't, I don't know. I don't like, I don't know what the answer is, but it'll, it'll, Arizona is certainly trying to do it. Or should I say the future Austin coyotes? They're certainly going for it. You got me on board with that, by the way. More I think about it, I think Austin's a good home. Need a rink. Need a rink. They just built the, uh, it's called the Moody Center. It's, it's going up like as we speak. Um, and let me check the capacity. Not big enough though. Capacity is 15,000 plus seats. Mm, so it's cutting it close opening in 2022 uh really cool looking and downtown but i don't think they're building it with hockey in mind that would have to be a uh an addition i guess yeah no i the, you you hit the nail on the head with the coyotes draft picks i mean we the edmonton or buffalo model over the past you know what we've seen over the past decade or so was that the team wasn't great, but they did have some pieces in play over the past couple of years. And then we said, listen, we're going to bomb out this year because Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel are available. Um, right. Buffalo's never had 10 pitch in the first two rounds. They've had no, like that's, three. And that's Arizona. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Arizona, like you said, it really nuked the organization to down to nothing. I like Terigny. I think he's a good coach. Um, What's he going to do with it? He can't, there's nothing he can do. There's nothing like, he could do, but I do like him for for two years from now when, oh, when the draft picks are in place and they're starting to get into the lineup in Arizona or Houston or Austin or fucking wherever they're playing. Parts unknown, but I I think he's the right man in charge if that's what they had in mind. But like you said, it, especially in hockey too, right? This isn't the NFL. If you like the all seven rounds of draft picks don't play right away where they do in the Correct. NFL or the NBA, first and second rounders are usually on a lineup like or on a roster. The NHL, if you're not picked in like the top 10, there's a significant, probably 35 to 40% chance that you're not playing in the NHL that year if you're outside the top 10. So that, so is it next year? Is the year after that? Like I, now that, you know, it's a great discussion point, the more I think of it, like the team's not going to be, it's not like this is a, we blew it up. We're going to get an infusion of young talent next year. And we're going to start to, you know, ascend, ascend the mountain again out of this, out of this abyss that we're in. It's, they're gonna suck for like four or five years till everybody's <laughs> yeah. ready. Let right. me uh, let me finish with this on the Coyotes. If they do stay in Arizona and they build that rink in Tempe, um, where they want to, home of Arizona State University, which has a reputation that I think precedes itself, and they're filled with a bunch of eighteen, nineteen, and twenty-year-olds. Uh, look out! That's all I'm gonna say. Everybody thought Vegas was gonna be an issue. Goodness gracious. Anyway, I'm going to give you really, well, really quick. Yeah. Tyler Sagan to fit as the veteran on that team. As the, as the veteran. Oh my God. As the veteran in that group, it's like, Hey, (laughs) I got you guys. Tyler Sagan heard ASU and he's in. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm going to give you seven names and I want you to, to take one of these names and say, this is my gut. Who is moving first? You ready for this? Mm Mm-hmm. Marc-Andre Fleury, Phil Kessel, Anton Hudobin, Claude Giroux, Eunice Corposalo, Vitaly Kravtsov, and Jacob DeBrusque. Choose your adventure, NRD. I know you said pick who goes first. Um, or if you have somebody that's in your gut that you're like, oh. Just, yeah, I think that they're uh, – Marc-Andre Fleury is an interesting one. Let's just – let's go off the top. I, I could have saved you the time of listing everybody else. 
because he's one of only three goalies in NHL history with 500, you know, plus career wins. He's playing on a Chicago team that was shit out of the gate. They had obviously a lot of issues in the in the organization. They fired Jeremy Carlton. They have Derek King behind the bench. They're playing better, but they're not going to get into the playoffs this year. So, is he the type of candidate that you know is the guy that gets moved for any goaltending helper on the league for a contender? Yeah, I mean, who think about think of the teams that might need a veteran goaltender? Boston, well, that's out because you know we know Tuukka Rask is going to be playing there sooner than later. New Jersey's not contending. I know they can use some help in that, but they're not contending. And they, they tried for Marc-Andre Fleury a couple of years prior, and that didn't come to fruition. You know, the Rangers are getting Shesterkin back and healthy, and I don't think they could have afforded Marc-Andre Fleury's cap hit anyway. I know he's a free agent at the end of the season, but I think the Rangers, you know, want to allocate their funds if they decide to make a move in a different direction than that, which is a moot point because Shesterkin's coming back, like I mentioned. You know, Dallas is loaded with goalies so they they don't need a goaltender colorado they need some help maybe colorado can use some help in net just you know i know it sounds repetitive we talk about the same teams but the reason why we talk about colorados and whatnot is because they haven't addressed their goalie situation so is now the time that colorado makes a move on mark andre Fleury? perhaps i think that you have to handle the situation with carrie price in montreal with eggshells but there's a potential that he comes back shows showcases himself and then Montreal somehow finds a way to move that contract. So that's like one of those, you know, I threw another name into the mix on you, Brett. Like, Marc-Andre Fleury is an interesting name because he's he's a goaltending rental, but his, his resume supersedes that of any goaltending rental we've seen in the past. And we know what he's capable of. I think that's what make, makes Marc-Andre Fleury so interesting to me. You're right. And I wonder, like, uh, I guess like a team like Toronto couldn't make it happen unless... No. Unless Mrazek was out of there, and even then, it's it's tough. It's tough. But uh, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll officially, I'll keep an eye out. Watch on Mark Andre Fleury. Keep the eye out of Mark Andre Fleury. Just not that I know, yeah, you're there, here, but, or yeah. there yet. But like that's teams are gonna call because, like I said, the resume supersedes anything else of what we've seen of a of a rental goalie. Like not a Devin Dubnik trade or a you know or or a Aiden Hill trade in, in with San Jose in Arizona like. He's he's one of three goaltenders with 500 career wins. Like he's I, uh, better than everybody else. I think we have to clip you saying Dev Kadubnik. I like that. Did I say Dev Kadubnik? You said Dev Kadubnik, and there that's that's you. the Anton Kadobin oh. Devin Dubnik mashup that we never expected today. I love Merry when everybody, Christmas, everybody. I love everybody calling me out for mispronouncing things. It's great. I'll, uh, I I study biz for my, for my <laughs> podcast. Uh, inspiration i just watch biz nasty tapes there you go um nrd that's gonna do it for us today I, last point real quick is calgary arena dispute um don't have enough on it to really speak to it well it, it basically they agreed on a 50 50 deal in july for a new uh, arena in calgary to replace the saddle dome that has since sort of evaporated because the sides are increasing costs saying we need this we need that environmental studies and climate uh you know, things of that nature. So the deal that they agreed to is no longer the same deal that is required. Calgary says, well, I don't want to do that. Calgary, the city of Calgary says, well, we don't really have much of a choice. So Calgary has declared their intent to not go forth with that deal, not necessarily tearing it up, but say this iteration will not work for me. Give me 15 seconds on your thoughts on that. 
Um, Atlanta's looking for a team. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just it's posturing through the media. Um, they they're not opting out of the deal yet. They intend to opt out of the deal, and, and I self-admittedly don't know much about this either. I'd have to look into it deeper, but um, more of like a everybody halt in your positions right now. Let's see what we have. I doubt Calgary's going anywhere. They've said that they're okay with playing in the Saddle Dome going forward uh, until they could find out, a, figure out a better deal. So everybody stand pat right now. There you go. NRD, cold stove for today. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and everybody yeah, out there. Absolutely. Merry Christmas. Probably be able to get a quick one in next week. I will yeah. uh, will be remote. NRD from the Batcave. I will be from back home slash in beautiful Rochester where if all every knock on wood, slated to go see the Sabres game. So, again, you and all knock 12. on wood, I will be, yeah, me and my 12 closest friends um, will be at a Sabres game at, at uh, Key Bank or HSBC to me. But uh, that'll do it. The tens good of first, Sabres uh, fans. Yeah, uh, all, all dozen of us. So, good episode today, NRD. I am Brett Merriman at Schmerriman. That is NRD at NHL Rumors Daily. Uh, give us a subscription. Great ratings, great reviews the last couple of days. Keep those going. Uh, maybe in the new year we'll, we'll rip through a bunch of those. And follow at Cold Stove Pod on Twitter and Instagram while you're at it. Shoot us topics and questions that we need to cover. NRD, anything else for today? No. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. Um, appreciate everyone as always. And let's get through this together, everybody. You know, keep being safe, yes, keep being healthy, and we'll see NHL hockey soon enough. Amen. Amen, brother. All right, we'll see you guys uh, probably next week. I can't guarantee an episode, but we'll, you know what? We'll throw something together. Maybe not a full episode, but just a quick check-in. Because it maybe I'll, is vacation time for your boy. But Maybe I'll hold down the fort. We'll see. There you go. The NRD solo, just, just rants and thoughts. There you go. All right, my man. Thank you, everybody. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and we will see you guys when we see you.